Grace and peace to you, and welcome to Faith Lutheran Church. My name is Candace Wassell. I'm the pastor here at Faith. It is such a joy to have you visit with us. You are welcome, so welcome in every part of Faith's community. You are welcome to join us in person at worship on Sundays. You're welcome to visit us online. You're welcome in our mission, in our fellowship, and most important, you are welcome at the Lord's table. The Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew, the second chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. Now after the wise men had left, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Get up, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. Then Joseph got up, took the child and his mother by night and went to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Out of Egypt I, had, I have called my son. When Herod saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, he was infuriated, and he sent and killed all the children in and around Bethlehem who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had learned from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what had been spoken through the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, wailing and loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be consoled because they were no more. When Herod died, an angel of the Lord suddenly appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, get up, take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel for those who were seeking the child's life are dead. Then Joseph got up, took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was ruling over Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And after being warned in a dream, he went away to the district of Galilee. There he made his home in a town called Nazareth, so that what had been spoken through the prophets might be fulfilled. He will be called a Nazarene. The Gospel of the Lord. The Lord Congregation may be seated. <laughs> Tough reading. We'll get to it. But grace to you and peace from God, our creator, and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, in this new year. Amen. So I, I promised that I would tell a story from 17 years ago. 17 years ago, I bought my first home in Belleville with my uh, husband and two older children. And it was near Belle Claire Speedway. You all know Belle Claire Speedway. And we had never been to a stock car race before. So that first summer, we decided to go to one. We get our tickets and we walk into where the bleachers are and we see that the bleachers are kind of curved around that side of the track, you know, a curve on turn one and then turn four. Is that right? Okay, sorry. Uh, so the middle section was absolutely packed with people. But to our surprise, the section right around the first curve was totally empty. So the four of us go and sit there by ourselves. And, you know, people were kind of looking at us, but no one said anything. And then the race starts, and the cars go zooming past the start line, and they pass the folks on the middle seat. And they're approaching us four, and we're cheering them on, and we're so excited until they take that first turn by us. And we see, to their horror, our horror, their fully exposed tires 
kicking up great gobs of mud and flinging them into the empty seats where only the four of us sat. It was horrific. The children were crying. They were pulling mud from their hair, and I'm screaming, we got to get out of here. <laughs> I know that there is an argument to be made for my stupidity. But all I could think was, you evil people, how dare you sit there and say nothing? <laughs> the passive indifference of hundreds of people was humiliating and infuriating. That is my first and last stock car experience. <laughs> Passivity is troubling. And today is no exception with this incredibly difficult reading. Not one person, not even our God, does anything to stop the massacre of the holy innocent. Yes, you could make the argument that God does take effort to ensure that Jesus is spared. But that makes his passiveness even more disturbing. Why not send angels to all of these fathers? Certainly, God has no shortage of angels. And it's not just this moment where God is silent as children fall victims to the whims of tyrants. Our Old Testament reading and the prophecy in Matthew speaks of ancient mother Rachel, who wept over children swept away by tyrants generations before. It is hard to hear this reading. It is even harder still to hear this story when Christmas carols are still ringing in our ears. We are supposed to be in still these 12 days, a season of joy and hope. And honestly, I, I knew that this reading was coming on New Year's Day, and I knew it would be hard enough to fill these pews on a holiday. So I thought about just skipping this reading and having a themed sermon about all the, all the things that have happened in the last year. But something, someone rather, changed my mind. A family here at Faith, Kristen and Jared, very open about their foster care experiences, so I could change their names, but you would all know who I'm talking about. <laughs> a few weeks ago, a little newborn baby boy came into their life to stay with them. And it was only going to be for a little bit. They knew this. His biological grandmother was ready and capable to take care of him, but uh, needed some time to get things in order. And so this baby was to be with them for this season, and this season alone. And on Christmas Eve, Kristen shared on Facebook, which is dangerous when you are friends with a pastor. This is what happens. <laughs> it's all fair game. She shared on Facebook how sweet it was and is to have a baby during this beautiful season. But she also said, very poignantly, it was not lost on her that this little baby has a mama and a family missing him and missing his first Christmas. Pray, she said to us. Pray for all mamas, ones celebrating first, ones missing special moments, and those waiting for babies. It was such a beautiful and heartbreaking sentiment that it made me realize 
we cannot skip over texts like this one today. Because heartbreak does not take a break, even in the midst of beauty. We may not endure in our country Herod-level atrocity, but mothers are still weeping for children. Children are still hungry on Christmas. Families are still broken up by addiction and violence on Christmas. Wars still rage across the world through Christmas. People we love are lost even on Christmas. So we've got to talk about this text. Because heartbreak has been imposing its will on beauty since time immemorial. But it's not all same old, same old today with this text. Much as it seems like just a repeat that we are hearing from the Old Testament about children dying. Something different does happen today with Jesus. Our critique, my critique which I feel, honestly, I feel is a justified critique that God is too passive in this story. It is not ignored. God does not ignore the critique today. Finally, we will see God dig down deep to find an answer to our anger and our tears, and he gives us Jesus who enters into our pain on this day. That is the promise of the incarnation, of a God choosing to wrap himself in flesh and live among us. And it is a good answer, because Jesus is not a passive God. He does quell tyrants. He quells the tyrants of sin and hunger and disease and death. And when he entered into our pain and the and the reality of human existence, he didn't refuse to just do nothing. He healed, he fed, he forgave. He walked with people, but he did not leave them where they were. And seeing his resistance against the heartbreak changes us. And here's something that I think you're not probably going to hear from other pastors or from other pulpits. But I believe Jesus' resistance to heartbreak was so radical and so divine that it also changed God the Father. And here's what I mean by this. Rachel wept, right? Our text says that. Rachel wept for her children. Mothers weep in the Bible. That's what they do. Mothers weep. That's how they grieve loss and heartache in the Bible. But fathers in the Bible do something totally different. When Rachel's husband Jacob sees that his son's multicolored coat, right, that multicolored coat that Joseph gets to wear, Jacob will see that covered in blood, and what does he assume? That he's dead. And so what does Jacob do? He rends his clothes. He tears his garment when Absalom kills David's sons, David tears his clothes. When Job loses all his children, he tears his garment in two. That's how fathers grieved and are moved by loss in the Bible. And though God does take measures to make sure his own son escapes the brutality of this day in Matthew, 
Jesus is not going to escape the cross. And I want you to look with me on what happens in that moment. So, if, if you're new to faith, I sometimes make you get out Bibles. Sorry. I mean, I'm not really sorry. All right, so get out a Bible. And if you're in a seat, yeah, pass them down. Thank you, Fords. Uh, <laughs> pass them down. But you're supposed to keep one. All right. So go to page 910, 910, and we are going to look at what happens on the cross. So this is Matthew chapter 27, verse 45. It's page 910, all the way in the back, all the way in the back, 910, page 910. I promise everybody is on 910, unless someone brought their own Bible. Sorry, Jim. Okay. Good. Yeah, hold it up when you found it. Well done. Thank you. Jim's got it. That's all that matters. Jim's got it. <laughs> all right. We're going to read here. Everybody looking good? All right. Here's what happens at the end of Matthew's Gospel. On 45. From noon on, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. And about three o'clock, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lemma sambachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And when some of the bystanders heard, bystanders heard it, they said, this man is calling for Elijah. At once, one of them ran and got a sponge, filled it with sour wine, put it on a stick, and gave it to him to drink. But the others said, Wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to save him. Then Jesus cried again with a loud voice and breathed his last. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. People, this is a father rending his clothes in grief. This is God the Father tearing his garment in two because he is so moved by the heartbreaking reality of Jesus' death. Our God is passive no more through Jesus. He enters into our reality and he weeps with and for us and he raises Jesus from the grave so that Jesus might breathe his Holy Spirit into our lungs and into our very souls and all of that, all of that truth moves us to a life of resistance, of resisting the temptation to passively observe the heartbreak of others. To not only weep, but to rend our own clothes. We who follow Jesus fight with active resistance against the chaos, with weapons of mercy and love and a willingness to get involved. And that willingness to enter into the painful realities of our neighbors is absolutely God digging deep again, but in real time, to wipe away the tears of mothers who weep and to repair the clothes of fathers in pain. Now what does that look like? I want to leave us on a simpler note. I want to leave us on a on a happy moment of what it looks like to not be passive 
followers of Jesus in this world. I know there is something we do in worship that makes every introvert in here shudder with terror. It's sharing the peace. I know who you are. I can see it on your face when I say the peace of the Lord be with you. You start looking for the exits to go to the bathroom. I know how much you would just love to stand there and not share the peace with anyone. I know you would love to be passive in response to God's peace in that moment. But there is a brother among you who can teach you how to resist your passivity. It's little Jack Totsky. Right there. He is one of the most shy kids you'll ever meet. Doesn't say a whole lot. But a few months ago when it was time to get up and share the peace, he did it. And he came back and gloated to his brother and sister, I got the most pieces. <laughs> and just a few weeks ago after worship, when he usually ignores all my efforts to talk to him, he walked right up to me and said, I got 19 pieces. <laughs> and then walked away. There is no passive piecing in Jackson's world. He is a peacemonger. <laughs> Brothers and sisters, that is what it means to be moved by Jesus. To be moved from our places of beauty and comfort by all that Jesus has done. We willfully get up from these seats and we share peace. And then when we leave this place, we go to places of pain and discomfort to wipe away tears and repair hearts. If Jesus can move God the Father... Imagine what he can do to us in 2023. Thanks be to God for this gift of life and love and joy and hope and peace in our Lord. Amen. The most valuable message we have to share at Faith is the promise we have in Jesus. We come together every Sunday to share this good news in the reading of Scripture and sharing of Holy Communion. It is these two acts of worship that we learn of the forgiveness, peace, and joy that Jesus has won for us on the cross. These gifts also belong to you, and we hope you will feel welcome to receive them. After we've shared worship together, we trust that we are ready to be sent out into the world to serve our neighbor, and you're welcome to join us in that great work as well. There are so many opportunities at Faith to be the hands and feet of Jesus in the world. It's what we feel called to do. It's what we're passionate about. Above all, I want to encourage you in your faith. No matter where you're at, in your journey with Christ, you are welcome to visit faith as often as you are able. But whatever you do, keep searching. There is a church family set aside just for you. And I trust the Holy Spirit will place you right where you need to be.